Welcome back to the Legends Lounge. I'm Trill Withers, and with me today in the lounge is former St. Augustine Saint and UCLA Bruin. Mm-hmm. He was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics, later won the championship with the L.A. Lakers, and is now doing some work with Showtime Basketball uh, that we'll get into. We got Jelani McCoy. Thank you for joining us, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. First things first, how are you? I'd like to ask everybody, how, how they doing? How you feeling today, man? I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. You know, it's Monday, you know, getting to the top of the week. I celebrated Mother's Day and all that good stuff. So, you know, all the email, the e- everybody's email uh, inbox is full. I'm ready to go on Mondays. You know, they're just sitting there waiting for you. So that's been pretty cool. Now, uh, I know you are a busy man. Uh, have you been keeping up with the you watching the playoffs? Of course, you know, that's always in, in the background, even even while we working or doing something, I always try to keep tabs on some type of box score right. or, you know, just have it in the background without no sound. You know, once you're attracted to basketball, sometimes you don't need any other broadcasting analysts. You can pretty much, you know, work. It's almost like walking meditation at this point, especially when right. you're a lifelong basketball person. I am. So it's just about, you know, staying close to the game while being productive. Hmm. So what we we got our conference finals coming up. What uh, what have you seen so far? What you got any predictions? We got Nuggets Lakers on one side, then Boston Celtics Miami Heat on the other side. What uh, what are you looking for? What have you been seeing in the playoffs? Um, it's been a great playoff. It's, the postseason has been great. The play uh, the play ins have been great. Uh, the performances have been great. You know, uh, we had a lot of you know the so I'm, I'm a Laker fan, and obviously I won the title with the Lakers, and I grew up with the Lakers. So, you know, I'm rooting for the Lakers. On this, is, uh, this seems like a plus special playoff run. Storylines are great. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of older guys that are supposed to go quietly off off into the sunset. That have decided that they're, they're not going to. And it's been a learning experience for a lot of the youthful guys that, you know, maybe their first or second year run in the playoffs. So I've been enjoying it. You know, everybody, was, uh, everybody all the content has been great from on court to off the court. So yeah. uh, it's just been an exciting postseason. I've been enjoying it. Feels like the uh, postseasons of old. Mm. Now you mentioned some of the younger guys stepping up. Who are some guys that have caught your eye this, this postseason run? I mean, honestly, it's got to be guys like Austin Reeves. De'Aaron Fox was great mm-hmm. to watch, you know, bringing Sacramento uh, into the postseason the way he did and him having the highest clutch rating, uh, um, clutch rating going into the playoffs or coming out of the regular season. So those storylines have been great. Um, obviously, I would have liked to see a lot more from Luka and a lot mm-hmm. of the other, you know, first, second, third-year players, you know, Trey Young, those, uh, but the guys who are in the – in the uh, in the postseason right now, I feel like a lot of those guys didn't have the easiest path to success in the NBA. Austin Reeves, second year player, uh, you know uh, the guys, the Golden State players, getting a lot of chance to play in the postseason. But uh, uh, the really the guys I'm just uh, in Boston press with are the guys probably I've watched the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go figure. Probably, <laughs> probably like a, a Austin Reeves, uh, you know, guys like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the easiest path to success. Right. Now, I'm curious, you've played on a couple teams. Like, we've seen the Nuggets, they've pretty much had the same core last couple mm-hmm. years. The Lakers kind of shook it up at the deadline. Phoenix Suns definitely shook it up at the deadline. So, from your experiences, how long does it take for a team to gel? 
Depends on if you got LeBron James or not. <laughs> that helps a you lot, know, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for some reason, he's the only one. one of our few superstars that's able to cook up a whole new team and make a strong playoff run. And in some instances, win championships. So um, um, I just think uh, right now it's, it's obvious. It takes time to gel this hoop. I mean, sure. you hoop. You hoop. You know, whether it's pickup, you know, five on five, three on three, whatever mm -hmm. it is, you got to get your – communication together even if it's for a day when you want to hoop you know if it's everybody doesn't get along or something's fractured it tends to be shown in, in basketball a lot one-on-one -on -one, two-on-three right. three-on-three much less five-on-five five. and we're talking about at the highest level with the highest stress level so um i think when you have a lebron james when you have when you or when you're a kevin durant and you can plug mm -hmm. and play in any situation that there is you know there are those outliers but for the most part man i think we're we're to the we're prisoners to the moment right now. We're thinking that because you know uh, in those instances we've seen guys come in and have success, whether it be KD with the Warriors, mm -hmm. LeBron cooking up new teams. You know, uh, it takes time. At the end of the day, we're seeing that with Boston. You know, they, right. they've chosen to stick to their two superstars, that core group, and you know they matured over the years. They had some highs, they had some lows. They've been to some game sevens. You know, one minute is you know break up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Right. You know the next the next uh, minute is this is the future. Right, these are know, the guys. Yeah, these are these guys coming up. It's not you know they're one A one B right now. It's not Batman and Robin. So that's the great thing about the league is there's so many narratives. But at the same time, uh, you know, um, I, I like the stories where guys got to go through it. It's not handed to them. You know, life in the right. league goes up and down, and sometimes you got to endure. So that's what we're getting right now. Mm. They play a couple teams, couple coaches. We've seen some successful coach like Monty Williams, Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, as of late, uh, coaches of playoff teams that they've parted ways. I'm curious. When does a team know? Like, how do you from inside that locker room? How does a team know? It's like, okay, we might need a new coach. I think it starts with the players, mm. right? You know, the, obviously the front office does their job, but you know they watch the game. Uh, hopefully, you're in the front office. You watch the game as much as the rest of us do, so they see the little markers here and there. You know, things mm. that mm, that was interesting. <laughs> right. Boy, that you know, this is starting to become a thing. You know, this they did this last time where. You know, they know when it starts to snowball and, and get out of the way if they're doing a good job at the front office. I think at the, the coaching level, you know, there's some, you know, it's, it's a competitive environment. So coaching staffs, whether there's holdovers or new guys, everybody's trying to get their way up the ladder. You know, not right. that it's a bad thing. It's just, you know, that's, that, the, game. that's, what the, yeah. that's the game. That's the game. That's what you know what you're coming for when you get it. But on the player level, I just think it's when we're not all together, when everything is fractured and you're starting to see naturally two people gravitate here, two gravitate, but when, when is everybody's going down their own groups or, you know, you know, whoever they gravitate to and it's not coming back home, mm. you know, so when you start seeing that on the court and you know what I mean? Everybody doesn't come back as a team. It's like, nah, me and you, we rock. We're going to be up this next yeah. year. I'm a free agent. You are free agent. You know, let's make sure we take care of each other. And that's just a natural thing to do. At the end of the day, we're talking about humans in a competitive environment where everybody wants your job at the end of the day. But I mm -hmm. think on a player level, it starts to happen when we see we're not collectively together. Yeah, everybody got different personalities. Not everybody enjoys the same thing. But when we come back to practice or we come back in the game or we're on the road trip, you know, it's some, at some point in time, we got to come back together as a cohesive unit. 
And I right. think when you start to see that, when you stop seeing that as a player, that's when it kind of, you know, that's when you like, was well, it the coach? Is it, is it right? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it us? Do we need a players only meeting? You know, what, what are we going to get out of that? So mm. that's when you, that's when you start as a player, you start assessing, hopefully you start assessing yourself and then you start, you know, seeing what else is going on around you. And we hear a lot about like players only meetings. How, like, if you, you've been a part of those, I'm sure. What are those? Walk us through those from the, from the locker room perspective. It depends on the leadership in the in the in the locker room. Sometimes it can go one in ear in one ear and out the other. It's the buy-in from the top tier players and for coaching at the same part. If if if, if the t- players are going to hold their teammates accountable, it has to be echoed through the coaching staff as well, right? They yeah. can't just be like, "Nah, bro, you weak. Look at the film." Right, and then the coach is not holding them accountable as well. It has to be like one gonna, voice. It has to be one voice. You know what I mean? Uh, and the player's voice is different from the coach's voice. That's allowed to happen. You know, it's a natural dynamic. Sure. But the values still need to be the same. You know, accountability still needs to be the same. The goal still needs to be the same. And um, that, that's why you need a lot of more veteran presence in that locker room. You see the Udonis Haslam's. You know, everybody likes to make fun of UD, you know what I mean? Considering, oh, he's not playing, but he's a coach. Is he a coach? Is he a player? Yo, he is, but he's supposed to be to the Miami Heat organization. And they found value in him being on the bench in whatever clothing he decided to be in. A suit versus a a uniform or whatever it is. It's his voice that matters. Yeah, not what he is. And being in there lifting weights with you and going through the repetitions with you, although you might not see it. On the game side, in practice, usually he's probably in the weight room. You know, he keeps himself in shape. He knows that people, uh, the younger players are going to be looking at him for that. So it's really about, you know, the leadership in the locker room. You know, this is or isn't there and the values it is. This is just like it is in any business situation. Mm. Now, we'll uh, go back through some of your career. But as I mentioned, you work with Showtime Basketball. You got the all the smoke hack. Can you tell us about what the... Always. Hey, how did that start? How did you link up with, with, with Showtime and, uh, and those guys? Well, I've been in the media space for about two or three years uh, prior to Showtime. Just I went to the coaching program. I went through a bunch of uh, programs, the MBPA. You know, whatever the MBPA was serving out, I was at the meetings, whether it be franchising. I was in the top 100 program, uh, top 100 program the front office. And uh, what, and I've always just been naturally committed to storytelling and media in the first place. I wanted to be a mm. film major in college, but at UCLA, I just didn't have that time and meet the criteria right. at that point. At that point, you know, you know, but the world is changing now. So I've always just been finding my way uh, as committed to um, enhancing the storytelling and controlling players' narratives is just something, you know, because I was a person, my career went left because of some narratives and the way that, you know, some things, you know, some situations I was painted in. So that's always been something near and dear to me. I wasn't willing to commit, you know, my entire life back to back to basketball after playing eight or nine years in the NBA and another five or six overseas, give or take whatever the numbers are. So um, uh, it was just a natural progression. Obviously Matt is a, you know, a good friend of mine, a brother. I know Steven Jackson, me and Steven Jackson have been through wars and a lot of free agent training camps, you know, so it was just a natural fit with me bringing not my expertise, but, you know, my experience in the game and also being cognizant of being the best time to bring me on the Showtime. I have my own company. 
I was being courted by some, you know, some other uh, platforms, but I just found it best. Like if I'm, that's just how I'm cut. If we're going to do it and we're, and we can, we can, you know, mix business with, you know, friendship and always have an open dialogue. It makes no sense to me why we all can't be doing the same thing at the same time. Mm. But you know what I mean? The timing had to be right. And just, you know, the optics of me being, Matt and Steven and Jack's friend, you know what I mean? That that could be a thing. So we just waited till the right time. I just prepared myself, you know, while while waiting for this opportunity because this is the one that I wanted to happen. And then we just hit it at the right time, right place. And then, you know, prop, preparation makes perfect time. And, you know, two years down the line, you know, here we are now. But before that, I was consulting, you know, not on the Showtime staff, just helping them on Friends as, right. you know, if they had ideas, questions about guests, you know, questions about how they should engage a guest in an interview, then, you know, I just answered those questions for them before I came on officially. Mm. Now, you said you, you know, go back years with, with Matt and Steven. At the time, these years and years ago, did you ever think that you guys would be doing this post-career, would have this have this link? Because some guys, you know, know at the time what we mm. want to do, but some mm. guys, I don't want to say stumble into it, but you find a lane and it's like, Oh, I'm good at this. I can I can eat here, really. So, what? How how would you say? Uh, did you guys ever see that back then? Um, it, well, the you know the podcasting became something new. You right. know, it was a low, it was a low barrier entry for everybody because you didn't have to pitch or waste money shooting a pilot or a sizzle and you could just take go. it around. Yeah. You could just go. You know what I mean? Camera, laptop. You know what I mean? Just boom. audio. You can just boom. You up. You know what I mean? And then. I always knew the player's voice was something that was golden. I mean, player voice has been golden since uh, the movie with Alice English in it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> space Space Jam. Like, yeah, going uh, back. Whoopi Goldberg and uh, the the movie with, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Eddie. Eddie. Yep. You know what I mean? Player's voices have been golden for a minute. The story of basketball is is a is one that keeps reinventing itself over the years, you know what I mean? Because the we know the stories of the backgrounds that some of the players come back, the international flavor, you know, the 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 flavor of just the American players. There's so many things going on culturally in basketball, the storylines just keep extending themselves, whether it be through music, fashion, art. You know, it just seems mm-hmm. like it always comes back to basketball as the conduit, whether it be you love Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. There's always a storyline for a common person to relate to. And that I always knew that was worth its weight in gold. Now it's platinum and diamonds these days, the way <laughs> digital, you know, the right. way digital it's a good media thing. It's a works. great thing, yeah. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. You can be KGs and a uh, movie of a, a feature presentation movie with Adam Sandler taking commercials, and, commercials. Yeah. he's got his own podcast and it's just great to see you know them inspiring just like they inspire we inspire each other on the court when we play although we are peers and sometimes mm-hmm. rivals it's still inspiring to see you know somebody do it off the court or bring that same passion so I always knew that this was going to be a thing but like you said it takes time for you to you want to present yourself in the in the right fashion. It's the same way you do on the court. Yeah. You know, you want the right sneakers, the right brand partners. So, and you want your voice to be heard the right way. Anybody can go up and spew negativity. 
and talk about clickbait. But you know, I think like you what said we the barrier to... entry thing. It's the negative. Yeah, side yeah, because you can just get in and go in the garage or the bathroom and cut up. You might get a bunch of views. You know, right. what I mean, somebody might invite you to the platform and want to sponsor that. But is that going to be here five years down the line? Or is he just going to be here one, you know, one and done as a social media influencer? I think players' voices can go a longer way. I think that's why, you know, what we built at Showtime and what they've started building, you know, before I got there and since I've got there, the new talent that we're bringing on, whether it be DeMarcus Cousins, you know, Rachel Nichols, Jamal Crawford, you know what I mean, uh, Paul Pierce. It's just, you know what I mean, not being that flash in the pan and creating a long a plan for longevity. Because, you know, now that in their uh, – you know, after the post careers, this is, you know, this is a stream of income mm. and a damn good one if you can, you know, monetize and plan correctly. Mm. And that's why, like you mentioned, I think it's so dope just seeing like, you know, KG's got his thing, but he'll tap in with all the smoke. They'll go on his thing. All the guys go. It's no like it's got to be my show. I feel like mm-hmm. everybody understands there's enough room for all of us here. Yeah, don't work that way over at Showtime. You know what I mean. You got it. It's it's all of us. You know what you what you do affects uh, all of us, and I, that's another part of being of a team, right? Kind of keep your act together. You know what I mean. You keep your you keep your your mental sharp. You know what I mean. It's a comp- competitive space now, and we believe you know and you know their strength in numbers, and we have we just so happen to have a, a strong and mighty group, whether that be Hall of Flamers or people who've made. And speaking of Matt and Stack, are people who've made a better life for themselves after basketball with authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's, that's you know, I can't speak enough for, for those guys, considering what they've been through in their career, uh, how much they've been to rely on those experiences and authenticity to create a brand that, you know, to me is limitless. Mm-hmm. I want to switch lanes a little bit, uh, jump to you and your career. So I like to ask the guys, Tell me about your welcome to the NBA moment. My welcome to the NBA moment was the lockout. The year I came in was the mm, lockout. That was your rookie I, year, I, yeah? I, yeah, I slipped in the draft, you know what I mean, to the second round. And it was a gift and a curse because uh, I went to a team that I hadn't been used to playing younger, younger guys. But because the older guys were not in tip-top shape and we were playing back-to-back-to-back, so three games in a row – it allows some opportunity for some young players to get some minutes. And if you have something, you know, your five minutes turned into 10, your 10 turned into 15. So I came into, you know, that being, you know, uh, uh, my professional environment. And, you know, mm-hmm. at the time, you know, after the CBA, you, you know, the younger players weren't welcome like they are now in today's NBA. You know, this is when the league, you know, wasn't stranger to the, four or five guys with eight or nine years of experience on the bench. You know what I mean? Sometimes even more. Right. It wasn't like the whole we're trying to get young movement kind of started, you know, in the two early 2000s, 2002, I feel like. But this is when some of our premier talent was, you know, transitioning out of the league. So they weren't just, you know, kind of letting young guys just walk in there like that. Ticket experienced it, you know, when he came in out of high school. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the new wave of high school players that were coming in you know, the talented guys that were leaving one, two, or, you know, one, two years out of college. So um, my welcome to the NBA moment, well, I would say was that whole, I could like list individual things that happened on the court, but that whole year of during the lockout, having to perform, get ready mentally, you know, deal with the ups and downs. That whole year was my welcome to the NBA moment. 
And as soon as you're dra- could you even have like contact with the team after that? Like, how did it? No. Yeah. When, when when did you find out I get, that the lockout was going to break? Or, like, what was your what did they and tell you? You had to have a good agent. Hopefully, you had a good agent. You know, and that's the time when the agent is invested in you for real, for real. You know, right. they they putting out the money. You know, unless you get your trading card money, depending on what pick you are, how much money that was. You know, that's the time, like you said, that they can't go to the teams and say they want a X amount signing bonus for you before you touch down. So you pretty much, you know, you're on credit, low key. You know what I mean? Your agent, you know what I mean, is fronting you. Hopefully, you got some type of endorsement money right. together. To float and you, you didn't, yeah. yeah, to float you, and you didn't go out and get the forever home with the, you know, the bins and the whole starter Two, three kit. cars, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that's what you want to do, and you deserve the right to do that once you enter into an elite club of, at that time, it's 4,500 now. I don't know how many what it was in 98, but every other industry you enter into, you're allowed to, you know, reward yourself a little bit. So, True. you can't punish everybody for rewarding themselves, but – at that time, you know, is you know how far, you know how far were you ahead, you know, mentally as far as business savvy, you know how 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 good an agent did you have? Did your agent did really care? Because you know your agents, some agents, well, all of them wasn't you know super. Yeah, cool everybody like didn't that. have a great agent. Yeah, yeah, it could have been like, oh yeah, hundred thousand cool, two hundred thousand cool, I got you. And then when you got your first check, it was prorated out of your first year in the NBA because it's prorated. They ain't giving you the full kit and caboodle for some work that you didn't do. I think you play half the season, so it's like half the check. So if you think about about that, you got the half the check, you're like, cool. Ooh, what happened? Oh, remember the car and the apartment and, you know, the cell phone bill and the whoop-de-boop and the travel, you know, remember the 80s? The whole thing, you know, I need my 200 back. You know what I mean? From an agent or some money guy who's ever funded you that money, they're going to want that money back. You know what I mean? And depending on how you play that year, you know, that that right. goes into the factor of what you, you know. So it's just a, you know, it's, it's an introduction into the dynamic of professionalism. And you know what I mean? And we know how a lot of systems failed us. You know what I mean? We don't have the best financial literacy in our communities. And that just doesn't, that ain't just the black community. That's, you mm-hmm. know, international that's, you know, you know, Latino, whatever it is. So it was just about, you know, being young men and, you know, understanding, you know, the responsibilities that come with the job. Hmm. So lockout was your rookie year. When would you say you felt like you belonged? Like you find, you know, had your feet under you. When, you, when would you say you felt like you belonged? in the league? I felt like I belonged my first practice. Really? First year after, okay. that, after, after that practice and the lockout broke and I had a, uh, you know, I had a great first practice, you know, uh, with the Sonics my first year where some of my idols were kind of like giving me the ball. Like, you know, let's see what else he got. I thought he was just blocking shots and dunking. Hmm. So I had an opportunity to express myself, um, you know, right away. Uh, you know, the, you know, it was received differently at the time from one of the coaches, you know what I mean, that, that was there. What do you mean? Kind of. Uh, it was just a funny situation that happened with, you know, uh, you know, bless the dead Paul Westfall, where he mm-hmm. wasn't completely receptive to uh, what I was doing on the basketball court. He was kind of wondering why the veterans were letting it happen. And he kind of used that opportunity against me mm-hmm. to, I think, galvanize the veterans. But it completely game. Uh, th- this could be a whole another. I've told the story maybe once or twice, but he, I, I get what he did, but it missed the mark. And it actually affected me uh, 
professionally, right? Because like I said, that was my first practice coming out of the lockout with some of the veterans. And, you know, it ended up leaving a scar on me professionally mm. moving forward to the NBA. So I would say, like, I felt welcome right away and I felt like I belonged, but that's, it was completely almost pulled underneath me, you know what I mean, almost right away if I didn't have some quality veterans. You spoke of debt left shrimp and a couple of other players on that team that, you know, guided me through that. But, uh, and I've heard it like that. A lot, a lot of stories have been like that for a lot of players, you know. And I get, you're not going to get every coach. It's not going to be your best friend. But, you know, as well, we're learning now, you know, uh, when you're going through, I had already been going through some stuff at UCLA. It's no secret when I came into the league. And for me to experience success and then have it weaponized against me, you know what I mean? It just missed a mark for me. And it kind of affected me. But, you know, every everybody, you probably hear a ton of those stories, you know, there were guys who had top of the mountain success, guys who we considered fringe or journeymen. I don't really like that term. And guys that we've seen, you know, bottom out. You know, it's really about who's around you, how you how, how you're built, your upbringing, how, how you're built mentally. Mm. And, you know, and the veterans on the team and what kind of other people you have in the environment. Mm. Now, you mentioned the term journeyman. Why don't you like that term? Uh, it sounds whack. It don't sound. <laughs> it don't sound entirely uplifting. You know, right. what I mean, French player. That don't. It sound has a connotation entire, to it. You feel what I'm saying? You know what I mean? It don't sound. It's not a lot of love and light presented with that at the end of the day. And I think that's an easy way of somebody to qualify why you should go in a certain pile, except for this one, right? Oh, he. He went from this team to this team, so they must not like him. Right. It what must be some salary wrong with cap is, yeah. What if his salary cap issues? What if, you know what I mean, just wasn't the right fit? What if it's a new coach? An office, you know what new I mean? coach. What yeah. from, uh, uh, there's, there's type of things, like those type of labels to me end up on the player. And that's a mm-hmm. player yeah. having to already perform the best, but having to stick up for himself and be a, a, a you know it's you know it's a lot more vanguardness that has to go on when you have to explain yourself and play basketball the job is already hard so mm-hmm. those type of labels i'm just already cool on it ain't too many been professional basketball players in the first place right. so how how are you going to turn somebody's accomplishments against them at the right. end of their the ability day? to go and contribute to different teams now that's a bad thing so to me that's right. kind of uh dope that you're right. able to assimilate in different environment systems. There has to be some level of intelligence. There has to be learning different playbooks. And you're a wanted commodity. Right. I got to tuck my shirt in here. You know, you got to go <laughs> in and learn different cultures and values. We don't talk like this. This coach wants this. Okay, we can do this on this bus, but we can't do, you know what I mean? To me, like you said, that's a commodity as opposed mm. to something that should be used against you. Mm. Mm. that's just my take you know what i mean i've i've heard it i've heard it for some of the bros you know what i mean i know a lot of players i've heard kids i've heard kids that can't so mine included i have kids who can't celebrate their own fathers right because they go to school and they'll be like your dad sucked right because he's not lebron or steph curry he's or a somebody he's a journeyman my dad said your dad was a journeyman and you know what i mean it's like your dad i didn't nobody heard of your dad <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, no disrespect, but again, that's right. using somebody's co- accomplishments against them, and that's whack. You know, that's the last mm-hmm. thing this generation needs. They should be having reverence and respect for something that everybody wants to do, 
but there's still only been you know 4,500 plus in the history ever of, uh, of in you know of in its entirety. That deserves reverence, respect. If you go in and you want a high school job, you should be able to go to the front of the line because you're a professional basketball player. You know they'll you if because a guy's a first player or you know they'll use that against you in an employment situation. Right. right? Does he really know how to coach basketball? He only averaged 1.8 points when he played in the NBA and he was drafted here and didn't do this. But again, like to, like to me, those things are commodities that sometimes, you know, when you're a for, former player in the after your career that, you know, you don't get that love. Mm. So, Mesh, what do you remember about your recruiting process? In college. You grew up, yeah, in, uh, in college, yeah. Uh, yeah. going back. Because you're a California kid, but from San San Diego area, yeah? Yes, yes, indeed. So what uh, Yeah, what do you remember about that process? Uh, I remember taking myself out of the recruitment process early. You know, um, I wish I would have took some more trips at the end of the day. But uh, I, I've always had an affinity for UCLA. I think I committed the earliest you possibly can during your junior, junior year. Yes, I played my whole senior year, committed. You know what I mean? I think I took one trip to Cal uh, because I didn't want to go to Michigan or North Carolina because I heard the recruiting stories and I know I would have went or it would have been a harder decision for me to leave uh, uh, California. My, my first cousin was at Michigan at the time. They were, you know, they were on her pretty hard about getting me to come out there, mm. uh, but – and that would have been great. I was in love with the Fab Five, and I'm a North Carolina and Michigan dude at the other day. But wouldn't have been UCLA. It would have been those yeah. two schools. Yeah, but I, I, I went to Cal just because I wanted to take a trip. You know, I didn't think I would <laughs> ultimately go to Cal over UCLA. Uh, but I took the trip. Coach Bozeman was great. Actually, I just saw uh, Michael Stewart and Jelani Gardner, who were actually, uh, at, you know, on my visit at Cal. Michael Stewart mm-hmm. played in the NBA a little bit, Jelani Gardner. So, um, I took myself out of the run early, man. I was sold. You know, I'm my only child. I, I'm my only child. If you show me, you like me, and you continue to show you shower love upon me. <laughs> I'm in. You know, I'm in. You know, what I mean, you ain't got really, <laughs> you ain't got to wine and dine me like that. You know, what I mean, Southern California. You didn't have to sell me. I grew here from San yeah. Diego. That's like a two-hour drive, which I used to make routinely. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, because I was so close to home, sometimes I'd be. Like during the season, you like yeah, early. yeah. Sometimes I would finish in Poly, and then a bunch of my friends that I went to school with, uh, they would be at, they were went to USD, and actually my other best friend who uh, who passed away, Daryl Russell, was at SC. So sometimes we we would leave UCLA, and by the time you know everybody would you know just be realizing what happened, we would actually be in the dorm rooms at USD <laughs> down in San Diego, hanging out with the homies. So. You know, that drive became nothing. And next day, you know, we drive back, get back, back to class. Yeah. You know, you're young. You know what I mean? We obviously made it back safe. And we knew what we had. We you know we had something to lose. So we took care of ourselves on the ride. Never did anything foolish. foolish, And we just made that a thing. Hmm. So now you get there. Was The year before you had got there is when they won the championship. Right, right. right. Yeah. But the coach yeah. switched in between that time, right? Like the coach that recruited you, was that your, do I have that? Yeah, that was the reason I came there. The coach that recruited me was Coach Herrick and Lorenzo Romar, now at Pepperdine, was at Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach Herrick recruited me, lo- loved that guy, le- never heard uh, uh, another guy talk basketball that I enjoyed, that appealed to me so much, you know. Um, but 
the Lavin ended up taking over my junior, you know, around my junior year. Yeah. After they got, you know, ultimately, you know, the coach Eric story, if you don't, you know, look it up. I hate talking. I hate thinking about that type of time. But I mean, UCLA, we were set. Had yeah. Coach Eric remain there uh, uh, his entire career, not to take nothing from Lab. That's my guy. You know what I mean? But uh, Coach Eric remain there. Coach Eric would have probably been just as big, if not bigger, than Coach Ashkey, to be honest with you. There's I mean, a pipeline. It was a great there's setup. A, yeah. There's a pipeline of talent, you know, that had to go elsewhere after Coach Eric left and, you know, certain sanctions came. But I mean, and I'm Coach I'm K wasn't about, Coach K yet. Then, he wasn't. You know he was yeah, smacking. So. He was beating up on Coach K. That's when he was, you know, <laughs> he wasn't dominating the ACC like that. That was Coach Smith. Right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day. So, um, yeah, we had a pop line of guards, shooting guards, small fours, power fours, centers. Like, every year was almost two years ahead. And right. the people who were on the way out were bringing people in. Right. So, so just well they, didn't have, they didn't have to do too much recruiting. Except because the players was doing it themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to be out. He about to be out. Right, you need to come take my place. Yeah, yeah you know, nobody really stays for more than three years. Even if you sit and learn, like that dude played five positions. That just means he could slide down to, to this position. Year. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it was just like a, the plan was beautiful. It's just a carousel of pe- different players with good size who can play different positions. You know, that's what Coach Eric. You know, really, you know, him and Steve Fisher are t- two of the coaches mm-hmm. I credit with having, you know, mo- good size, but posi- uh, players who can play different positions. And that's why I went there. You know, Ed, Ed O'Bannon played like the three, the four, the five. J.R. Henderson played five positions. Toby mm-hmm. Bailey. Very modern style ball. Like Very. Ahead of his yeah. time. Yeah, ahead of his time. We was already on analytics, about three-pointers. We had... 15 minutes of mental training before we touched the ball. Every practice? Every practice. Whiteboard, you jumping up and rebounding without the board, coming very John Wooden-ish. O's to mm. John Wooden. We shot this many threes. We're not making them. But look, we lead just, you know, on the whiteboard. You know, just 15 minutes dialed in. Then he took you into some work without the ball. And then once we got the ball, it was just fast paced. Right. Because you were so you could free your mind was free because you obviously enjoyed the information. Then we just trained faster than everybody, and we had dope uh, conditioning coaches. So I think that's UCLA basketball at the end of the day. That's what you know. It doesn't look like that now, but you know I think of UCLA basketball as the 19 years of 1995 when they was out running the Arkansas teams, who mm-hmm. we know what they've been trying to do in 40 minutes of hell. Mm-hmm. Northern Richardson, right? That's their whole thing. So. That was why I went there and why all of a sudden and that's what we kept selling to the, you know, to the guys that are coming after us. Did you ever have any thought about like either leaving once you knew Coach Herrick was going to be out or transferring or anything? Yeah. What was, what was that process like? I did. I wanted to be out. Uh, you know, I was there was no secret. There was no secret to that. You know, Lorenzo Romar was already hard for me. I lost him, I think, my first year. And he was a char- a l- largely in part of re- recruiting me there, you know. Um, but yeah, after Coach Eric um, left, you know, I, I did consider recruiting, and um, I actually considered coming back home to play with San Diego State when Jerry Tarkanian was being considered. Mark for sure, yeah, I was right, and he loves it here at the time. I think, and it wasn't even a big difference in money. 
And he, but that was the time he went to go to Fresno State. And I'm like, I ain't going to Fresno State. Now, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a step back and go back to the crib, you know, and play for San Diego State, you know what I mean, for Tark to Sharp. But I ain't going to Fresno. Right, Fresno's you know, not home. No, no, I ain't no beach in Fresno. I can't, you know, <laughs> UCL, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. But uh, uh, I had a couple other people reach out, but it was either like back home or nothing for me or to go to the NBA. So, Ultimately, that was my decision. How do I think about it? That uh, I think about it now, I probably would have reached out to Dean Smith or somebody. You know, yeah, it's a new ball some- game now. Like, if, yeah, if you if you were yeah eighteen nineteen right now, you would have. But you, you, you but you use the you lose the year. Remember, right? Like then, if you transfer, you know, two years within the Pac ten had the agreement that you signed, you lost two years. If I wanted to go to Arizona State or you know just transfer within the Pac ten, I lost two years. And you lose one year if you transfer somebody else. I'm already a junior. Right. Am I going to sit? You know what I mean? The remain, am I going to fight with the NCAA after I've been fighting with it about cannabis, about how much, how many years I should get back? You know, am I going to sit? It's a, a battle year? I can win. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, if it was the landscape it was today with the portal and I can leave after two weeks because I don't like it, because <laughs> I don't like the way somebody's talking to me. Or it's get some hard, NIL money. Get some NIL money. Then I would have went back and readdressed the people that were on my top five. But because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't going on back then, I, you know, I'd stick them on my guns and my decision. Excuse my, excuse my turn. No, no, please. Yeah. Um, now, I saw a while ago, I saw a former teammate of yours, Chris Johnson. He was tweeting a story mm-hmm. about you two going to the Clippers game to ask yeah. for a special favor from somebody. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was that was Bubba Chuck. That was Allen Iverson. You know, that was Allen Iverson's rookie year. Uh, we were sponsored by Reebok at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just didn't understand why we didn't have any Iversons. And, and the Reebok <laughs> rep didn't really have a good answer for us. And we was a little. These are the ones, uh, right? Like the answer. Yeah, ones. yeah. The ones everybody we like, wanted. Every, yeah. We like was well, nobody bigger than Reebok and UCLA. Uh, we should have you know, these. We got, yeah. we got Duke coming up. You know, they wearing the black jerseys. They're gonna pop out in the black jerseys. Like that's literally how we talking to the rep. Doing probably the school's job. Like we about to play Duke. <laughs> right. They're gonna come out in them black jerseys. You know, we gotta have these. Well, we got at least so. Uh, they're like, uh, well, you have to that that answer has to come from Allen Iverson. And we were like, well, call him, like get him on the right, phone, call him now. I know Chuck, you know what I mean? I went to Nike camp with him. You know, I, I know him decently at least to ask for, can we wear the shoe or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, it doesn't work. That it doesn't work like that. Wooty, wooty, woo. Okay. Uh, we get an opportunity to go to the Clipper game. Donald Sterling of all people. See, because we're the biggest ticket in town. The Clippers suck. The Lakers suck. Right. UCLA basketball. There's no football. UCLA basketball. Yeah, all the big the show. The yeah. Uh, Derek Martin is on the team, a UCLA guy. So he brings us down, gives us courtside tickets. And uh, like I said, I knew Chuck. You know, we had the after, uh, you know, the stay after band to go back in the back. Mm. And we just took it upon ourselves to go back there and ask AI. You know what I mean? Could we wear the shoes? We told him the plan, and we went back there. And but to Reebok's credit, he did. He he had said he had heard about how we wanted to uh, wear the shoes, so they did. You know, they put in the word. Like, yeah, they put in the word. But he was like, "Oh yeah, no doubt." But because of the energy was bringing in, like we and we gotta have this, Chuck. No, you know what I mean? It's gonna it's gonna be great. You know what right. I mean? It's gonna be it's games on CBS, whatever it was at the time. 
you know, we pitched. We they owe us a check, low key. Now that I think about it, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> marketing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we ended up, uh, we ended up uh, getting his permission. You know, it stuck. We got it on the front of his mind. We ended up getting debuting his shoes. Uh, I ended up meeting Biggie Smalls. Then, you know, ultimately the same weekend he met his untimely demise. But we that got a chance. Same to, weekend. The same weekend he like freaked wow. me out because I tried to introduce myself to him. And he knew who I was. And that was the first wow. time. You know, I've been in L.A. for a while now. I don't see Snoop, you know, everybody, actors, actresses, you know what I mean? Everybody. But I tried to introduce myself to him. This introduce myself game? to him. This is at that same at, game wow. in the back. If you remember back in the footages, you see Biggie with the cane at the play. We're playing the Clippers. If you go back on that day, that was his debut in L.A. Biggie was there. Wow. With Little C. Yeah, yeah. So, he was back there, and I tried to introduce myself to him. I think I was so shook. I think I called him Mr. Smalls or some shit, too. <laughs> Mr. Biggie. Excuse yeah. my but Yeah, Mr. Smalls, uh, you know, I just like to introduce myself. I'm a big fan. <laughs> and Little C's, like, tapped me hard on my chest. He was like, man, he know who you are, man. Get yeah, out of here. Yeah. And he was like, yo, that's that's McCoy. That's the one you was talking about with you putting his feet up on the rim and screaming all the time. You know what I mean? I was like, no That's a doubt. great way to be known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, no doubt. Yeah, you be bugging, you know, in this New York-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the way you play. And I asked him how he was spending his time in California, and he said he was loving it. You know what I mean? This is at the time of the East-West Coast beef and the whole – the death row offices were in Westwood. A lot of people don't know that. So, you know, we got to see everybody from death row at the fat burger at Monty's, you know what I mean? There were a place we used to eat and bring recruits. So uh, it was one of my favorite times to be a UCLA Bruin and be a basketball player for that part, because, you know, you get the stamp, you get the biggie small stamp and we got to leave there, you know, with the answers. So it was, it was a great work trip. It was worth the tickets. Yeah. What, what more could you ask for? You know, I'm like 17. I'm not a, oh, like a lot of things about me. I, I was like a lot of dudes are 18 and 19 when they're a freshman, bro. I was like 16. I turned 17 when Pac-10 started, Pac-10 back then. So not, I was out of an all-boys school at the time. It was like five, 600 people. Right. So I was new to L.A. They fresh off the national championship. So all this to me is like bright eye. You know what I mean? I'm like, yes. Right. I really, for, for, for real, for real, I had no intentions in leaving early. I've planned really? on staying four years at UCLA, getting my number. I always saw 32 Walton, 33 Abdul-Jabbar, and 34 McCoy. That was, you know, when I went to UCLA, that was envisioned. That was my vision quest on the board, you know, of what I wanted to see happen. And I was having a great time. So I really had no intentions of leaving early until I had to make a big boy decision. Hmm. What do you remember about that time, about having to make that decision? Because, like, I'm... I think your freshman year statistically was your best year, and we're talking like the different eras. Now you mm -hmm. probably just jump pro after that, right? I think I'd be forced to now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like after it happened, coaches change, like we talked about. Right. Coaches change, values change. You know, the, the business of UCLA basketball changes, you know. Uh, I just had to make a big boy decision. I, it was one of the, you know, uh, a lot of stuff went but down behind the scenes, behind it, even some uh, – even some little, little, I had opportunities to pursue legally against UCLA. There was almost probably a slam dunk case that I never pursued because of how much I just, you know, I just love UCLA too much to already have 
uh, have my name drugged through there that in that fashion and then go play that game. I hope my son goes to UCLA. You know, mm-hmm. I got from some of my best friends, you know, Matt included, Chris Johnson, my roommate. Some of my best memories that yeah, were at UCLA. I wanted to go back on campus. A lot of the decisions that happened, you know, I forced their hand because of my, some of my decision making. So um, I didn't. So I go back and forth with because my career went and career earnings and what it meant for me stock wise, which meant what it meant in turn. You get a little bit more uh, leeway when your career when you're a top fifteen pick than you do when you're down at 33 or if you're still in the lottery, like those, that changes. Oh, you just didn't know how to work with them. We know how to work with them. You know what I mean? You might get another team, like, right. but when you're down we there at 33, them, yeah. yeah, y'all didn't do this. You don't have the player development we got. You don't have the medical staff we do. He just fits better over here or whatever is going on. You know, that exists now, you know, now that's taken into consideration, but you know, back then it wasn't, and you know, you had to make, you had to make, you know, you had to make some big boy opportunities. It was a different world back then. Mm. So what do you remember about the whole, like, the draft process? Because you were part of, like, 98, right? Like, a pretty famous draft class. Eric, Paul Pierce. Uh, Vince Carter. AC, uh, Jameson. Yeah, it was, you know, the class of 95. A lot of those guys I played with in the McDonald's High School of American ended up getting drafted. What I remembered is it sucked. It sucked knowing have I had the talent as a lot of the first 13 names are got caught, called off the board. I'm not ashamed to say that, regardless of whether our NBA careers went. You know, I still feel that my body and my game, from what I've seen, even in matchups playing against them, and my limited playing time. You know, there's nothing, you know, you know and that took time for me to get to uh, after basketball. When you're going through this, you know what I mean? That is PTSD. Right. How, <laughs> how do you get through that? I ain't going to lie, man. You know, it took a lot of work hmm. at the end of the day. You know, like luckily I was the only child and I had to do self-evaluation since I can't remember. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And and I had, a, I had a tough mom's rest her soul. You know what I mean? Sharp, bright dad, Navy guy, officer in the Navy. So, you know, hella smart. So, you know, he didn't play. Um, but, but you know, I, I had to take the lumps. Like I said, it was a different world back then. You know, I got in trouble for cannabis back then. And I was looking at it like I saw I was selling it or I right. did a felony. Now, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. You probably have an NIL deal for it, man. Like, uh, you know what I mean? You know, like so. I could have took that and might not even have to play basketball no more. Y'all can keep this. You know, <laughs> I'll just be a spokesperson for, you know, what we now to know today is look what it is doing. It's off the band substance is the league. Right. You can't invest in it. You know what I mean? It's for wonders for the community, for women, people of color, for you black, brown, Asian. There's so many opportunities that come from the plant that used to be, you know, villainize a lot of people's careers. And if they decided to ingest or, you know, participate in it. So um, full circle, uh, uh, it, w- it was a lot. The draft pr- process sucked, but, um, um, I, I wouldn't take it, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, like, after I get through the pain and trauma, some of those situations, I just accept it as, as part of my story, mm-hmm. and, and, and it shaped me into the man that I am today, and it's probably made me the man that I am today to want to help other kids in that situation. I mentor a lot of, for, you know, former players, current players, high school players, you know, so that's the way I give back. I take from my experience and, you know, 
try to give that game without preaching to somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you know, just, you know, I practice. I don't, or, yeah. yeah, or yeah, or, you know, holier than I, I can literally speak to that fan because I've been through it. You know, you can, it's your money, it's your career, but right. we know what it looks like. There's enough stories at the end of the day for us to have something for you to, you know, piggyback off of. Mm. Now, speaking draft-wise, have you seen any of uh, Victor Wimbanyama, the projected number one pick? What What do you think of, just as a, a prospect or just any advice you would have for him or anybody really entering the draft? But he, he's coming under a different spotlight. One we possibly have never seen before. Yeah. Not, maybe not since LeBron in a long time, but this is supposed to be, you know, the can't-miss, surefire projection of talent, all the evaluators. We've never seen this before. Whoop-dee, you know, he's the catch of the day. The mm-hmm. month, the year, you know, over the next year, he's, you know, he's what's new. He's yeah. what's new. He's with the future of the game. Um I was just cautioning and what's wrong with this at the end of the day? Let's just see him play first. Mm. What's wrong with that? You know, I know talent and potential is what we base the cry. That's the criteria now, but you know, let's, let's, let's let feel like that's what happened to Wiseman. He was supposed to Mm. be a can't miss guy. He's a number one pick. He's going to be the next this. He's going to make sure Golden State has another championship window of six to eight years only to figure out that he wasn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. Now, he's going to go somewhere and play 14 years, probably have a good career, but they'll never get over the fact that he was the number one pick, right? So the same thing for Wimby. Well, he was, I think he was two, to be fair. Or two, uh, yeah, yeah, or two. But a high yeah, pick, but yeah, a high, a high pick, pick, all pick, the same. High yeah. pick, if it was a two, because they that wasn't the right fit. Right. They already had it. Or he would have been one, yeah. Yeah, or he would have been one. So – I think, like, let these kids play first, man. You know, let them get in summer league. I know there's a professional league in Europe, but, you know, that's over in Europe. He got to come over here and play now. So, you know, there's the G League Ignite. The G League is different. You know what I mean? I just say, let's hold on for a minute. Yes, it's amazing. There's no rush. We don't have to rush this. Yeah. Let's protect the talent a little bit. It's easy. It makes it too easy for us to say if it doesn't work out, if he's not, look, even at Zion, he's got great numbers. He just can't stray on the court, but now they're questioning him. Right. You know what I mean? Let's, the NBA is hard, bro. There's a lot that has to go right. There are a lot of other physically gifted players that you could run into and get injured. You know what I mean? There's a lot of wear and tear to get there. You got to push your body to the max. So let's give these kids an opportunity to be great before we just, you know, put a billing on them that they can't live up to at the end of the day. I would say that. So if if I'm him, stay in the gym, keep the circle small, you know what I mean, and get acclimated to this side of basketball. Europe was cool. You got lauded. They're going to give you the number one pick. They're going to give you everything. But I would say get yourself acclimated to this style of basketball because although it looks the same, freedom of movement, a lot of three-point shooting, the position he plays isn't defined. And right now the earliest identifying thing for him is to be a big. And from what I've seen – you playing the Europe bigs and the bigs that are skilled now, you know what I mean? There's going to be a different story and there's going to be, you know, a growing spurt. Growing so, pains, we'll yeah. yeah, growing pains. Exactly. Sure. Um, won't keep you too long, but I, I did hear another story I wanted to ask if you could confirm. I saw uh, Jaleel White, the actor mm-hmm. uh, for Family Matters, was talking about some of the pickup games mm-hmm. that y'all used to be involved with. What, what do you remember about those? 
best pickup games in the history of basketball. You know, I don't know how to, you know, I've been around the country at least. I've been to Houston, been back east, been to, you know, Atlanta. But I think I've been around enough to, you know, I've been to different pickup basketball environments, but there'll, there'll never be anything like playing in the men's jam. It deserves a documentary, you know, and a, a whole, it could be a, a whole Showtime movie. basketball. Uh, Is that uh, the... You already, uh, you, already, you know, you know, like, you know, there's some tape there. You know, obviously it's a college, you know, mm-hmm. and a multitude of, of things that you have to do to get projects. But, yeah, that's something we definitely got earmarked and want to bring. But, yeah, that's the best, ball, best uh, pickup basketball known to man. And where were they? What gym? It's in the men's gym at UCLA. It's not, you know, not Poly Pavilion, but it's where they used to practice and play some of the games in the wooden area, you know, back when the crowds weren't, you know, as big as the Poly Pavilion was needed. But, sure. you know, the who's who of basketball was in there, Hall of Flamers, All-Stars. Yeah, who's playing? Uh, who, who's 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 running in these, name these games? Name it. I mean, GP, Jason Kidd, Kobe Bryant, Shaq, Sean Kemp, Anthony Hardaway. Uh, Derek McKee, Jalen Rose, uh, uh, all the Lakers, all the Clippers, you know, anybody that's close, the Phoenix players, anybody you can think of that was anybody in that was anybody had any game, Paul Pierce, and then a lot of the players that were dope in that gym, you wouldn't think would be killing yeah. in the summertime. That was the best like thing who? about the men's gym. Check Brian Russell, for instance, who played for Utah. Byron mm-hmm. Russell, right? The infamous, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. Guy, mm-hmm. yeah, you would consider that's what everybody thinks about him as being shoved to the side. Yeah. Right. But in the summertime, like he was Jordan. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he's just dropping he's, buckets. He scored when he wanted to. He had jumper. He did whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever he wants to. You'll, like I said, you'll be surprised. The further down on that bench was like, the the goods who had the most game in the summertime, you know the you know the guys you know starting five guys they're kind of using it to get in shape, and then keep themselves sharp. The dudes you know seven on down you know six seven on down they're using it for a whole different. Yeah, they're trying to get some work in. Yeah, yeah, they're using it to make a statement. You know what I mean? They're trying to get sharper. They're using it for you know to fight for a contract to fight for a spot. So it's a it's an environment that you don't get to see often within professionals because you don't, you know, you don't get to see that in practice. And in practice, you know, you kind of got to, you got to toe the line a little bit. You know, even seeing teammates play against each other on different teams, you know what I mean, to hash out some things that they can do was a beautiful thing. So it was a movie in there every day. So, I mean, was the guys playing every day? How do you even get on there? I'm curious, how do you get the call? You got to be invited. text back then. Yeah, I'm sure it was invite only, but. Yeah, you got Magic played in there. He makes every call. You can't never be Magic because even if it's game point, he call a foul. And he going <laughs> to take it up top. Everybody knew it. You got to blow Magic out if it comes down to game point. You know, I was like, who's going to tell him he's wrong? If he says it's a That's foul, what I'm saying. I, was, yeah. I, I wasn't. You know, a couple <laughs> players did, but, you know, he was chill about it and you know, let him know that that wasn't going to happen. The UCLA <laughs> players always get an opportunity to play no matter mm-hmm. what the UCLA players go. So that's an added, you know, recruiting a bonus if you're going to go to UCLA. But you have to be invited. You have to be nice. Like, you'll play one game and, you know, you trash, you know. Even if your team win, you you know, especially if you weren't a pro or, you know, Right. Didn't, they didn't know you like that. You might be off that team, or so and so just came Ready in and get a run. Know, yeah. Hey, you got to you got to bounce, bro. We need we need that spot. That's you know that's Penny. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah. What are you supposed to do? You look up and see uh, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, or yeah. 
you you good even if you're all american or you good in college you know you guys like, bro you gotta go that's penny you don't go to school here you know that's penny you know you got your right. two games in that's it yeah spot. you had a good go uh yeah. step to the side yeah. yeah that's how it was uh now you mentioned you played a couple years overseas what do you remember mm. about that experience Man, I'll be trying to forget about the overseas experience for real. Yeah, for real. yeah it wasn't for me, especially not Europe. Europe, they, they play too many games. They're playing with your money. Mm. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, I think my best overseas experience was China. China mm. was, you know, yeah, Europe, you got to practice twice a day to play 15 minutes. You know, I got to set screens and roll. You know, I, that that wasn't my game. That's what I was, you know, not reduced to. That was the role I had to play on TV for the NBA. But my heart will forever go to, to China and the CBA because I got to go back out there and take every shot. I got to take threes. I got to dribble the ball up the court and run a play. No freedom. Uh, just, it just, I hadn't had that freedom since, you know, even in – College, because I went to UCLA and there were the divisional national championships, I had to play a certain role to get oh, You can walk court. into 20 shots, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? But I hadn't had that freedom since high school. So to have that freedom, they love basketball. They're going to pay you your money. Uh, you know, the cultural shock was, 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 was hard until it wasn't. Then I ingratiated myself into the Chinese culture. We got a lot of similarities. I love the food. <laughs> You know, not to be weird or anything, but I grew up watching, you know, martial arts movies, you know, mm -hmm. whether that be Japanese, Chinese, whatever it was. You know, I was watching the dubbed over uh, karate films and kung fu flicks. I love uh, Asian cuisine, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Dumpling. So once I immersed myself into that, into the culture, and they're also big on storytelling. So, you know what I mean? That's right That's up your stuff. alley, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's what stuff they're into theater and pageantry and. You know, I just learned a lot, learning a lot, you know, and being comfortable learning what I didn't know. So uh, if I had to pick any overseas experience for me, it would be China, Europe. Y'all still owe me a lot of money. You know what I mean? <laughs> I need it. I forgot. You know what I mean? I'm not going to keep it You know, it's funny as I try not to spend money. So Italy, Spain, and God bless them. You know, I don't, I don't need it back now. That's the... Ukraine is the only country y'all need that back. Y'all keep that. <laughs> y'all got it. Y'all y'all keep that. Consider that a donation from the McCoy family we and even. everybody else that play. We even. But Italy, <laughs> Spain, and I think I'm missing another country over there. Yeah, I need my money, man. You know what I mean? You're going to send me that check. I know a lot of players got a lot of horror stories, you know, about right. that. But, you know, it's a real thing. Mm. When did you know it was time to hang them up? man overseas yeah i found myself playing in some places that i didn't want to play in i had kids i got depressed overseas mm. you know what i mean uh, uh i can't I think i don't know i was in the philippines uh getting in you know injuries were starting to creep up just like little marker injuries where i felt like i was just just a little bit of time. More months, yeah. A couple more months, you know what I mean? Keep going back overseas. I felt like, you know, I was one pop away from it being something, you know, that was going, you know, career ending or, you know, change my life mentally again, you know, mm -hmm. because of a devastating in in injury overseas playing basketball. And uh, uh, I just dealt with a lot of 
I don't have a problem saying it. Just a lot of, you know, mental stability issues over there. It wasn't this stream yard and highly techno technologically things you can do right. to keep in touch with your family and your loved ones, you know, time difference. A lot of isolation. Yeah. A lot of isolation, you know. So I use that time to educate myself, to read. Um, I started going back to school, you know, while I was over there, but then I didn't, I just didn't care for that too much. You know what I mean? I just mm -hmm. wanted to focus on things I knew that I wanted to do right. and uh you know you know great experience I learned a lot about myself but love Asia but you know the whole overseas thing you know it's a hit or miss you can leave over there with, with a lot of money in a good situation you can leave over there with some bad habits and not a whole lot of money right and what what's next at Showtime Basketball all the smoke what what can the people look forward to before we let you go uh, we're just going to continue to press the, uh, press the envelope. You know, there's obviously been, you know, like, you know, you obviously, it's not just all the smoke. I think I'm a part of everything, you know, that, you know, I uh, got my hands in the majority of everything that comes out of Showtime basketball. It was three years ago. It didn't exist. I mean, now it's damn near 3 million followers across probably more, you know, the, every, all the growing every day, are, growing every day, the stories that are being told and reshared and, retweeted or re-aggregated, you know, Matt's on ESPN and it's via all the smoke or <laughs> KG get picked up and it's via KG certified or ticket and truth. So we're just scratching the surface of what, you know, of, of what this is. We've had an excellent opportunity to work with people like Jamal, you know, even though he's on TNT and Matt even though they're on ESPN, they still leave carve outs for Showtime basketball. So I say the best is yet to come. Um, we're still, you know, letting the players control their stories, you know, giving them the right confidence to tell their stories in the way that they want to with the right brands and, you know, money still has to be made, you know, so uh, we're just going to continue to press the envelope while honoring, you know, what we built the last three years. So I would say expect documentaries, I expect feature presentations, and then I would expect, you know, although it's showtime basketball, I expect I, well, I would just, you know, if you're a fan of Showtime basketball, expect to see things adjacent to basketball and, you know, be willing to, you know, give that a chance. You know, we mm -hmm. can tell these locker room stories. We do every week, every month. But I, I think a part of what, I, what we want to lean into is, you know, looking at some things that are scripted, you know what I mean, that are starring basketball players, like you saw KG on Uncut Gems, you know, mm -hmm. looking at stories where basketball can be used as a conduit, but not the end all. We have to right. recreate a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we can, like Air. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a basketball uh, movie. Related movie, yeah. Related movie, but it was about the business of basketball. Right. Some of the names we've heard on podcasts and movies and diving into some of those stories and the human element of basketball because, you know, not just the game action and, you know, what we've all been watching the last 30 years that sometimes gets repeated. You know, everybody wants to hear, you know, what happened to this, but, you know, and working with a lot of these players, like they want to tell other stories. Right. You know, they, they, uh, yeah, I hear that all the time on social media. I know you're going to ask me about it, whether right. it's Matt with the ball fake, AI stepping over Ty Lu, right. like these are our brothers. You know, uh, at one point it was fun to talk about, but, you know, after you realize in your post-career, these are our brothers. And, you know, during the pandemic, when a lot of people caught up with their teammates, you know, on FaceTime, they learned how much they love each other and they don't want people to use even, you know, 
Yeah, he dunked on me, but yeah, it was great. You know, I got a poster out of it, but that's my dog, which right. I don't know. The brotherhood is still there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I hated to do it to him, you know what <laughs> I mean? But, you know, it had to happen. That propelled me. But when you stop and think about it after your career is done, sometimes those things, you know, that's what you're known for now. They put a TikTok of you getting dunked on or they find a clip on YouTube. It's like, that's what you're known for. You don't, right. they don't. And the NBA entertainment, although, you know, there's a bulk and a volume of good things happen for you. Those things aren't readily accessible for players who won't have the big time package or name. So their mm-hmm. best highlights aren't putting forward. It might be some of their low to mid lights. So I think that's what we do in Showtime. We letting people get their highlights off instead of, you know, being known for a transgression or somebody else's, you know, ungodly like thing that happened. Yeah, he got right. dunked on, but look what he did. He jumped over a whole ass human being. <laughs> right. Of the yeah. of the highest order. Right. He so would have jumped who, over anybody. Like it wouldn't, yeah. Much less this dude that, you know, in a game six was not giving up that basket, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. So right. I just like to look at it like that. And I think all of us should at the end of the day. If you're a fan of the sport. Hmm. Well, again, we know you're busy, man. We appreciate you. Jelani McCoy, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge, man. Uh, my pleasure. Got an open seat anytime, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Well, well, I would love to come back on here, and I'd like to get a couple of other people to, uh, you know what I mean, join in on the lounge. So appreciate sure. it. Appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. My man, we appreciate you. All love. Right. Thank everybody for stopping by the Legends Lounge, brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge. Be sure to subscribe and rate the Legends Lounge podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll catch you next time. Peace.